come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, Kitchen Chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, dear foodie friends, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. I'm your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I'm so excited you're joining us here in the award-winning Viking and Lacrenu showroom in the Merchandise Mart. I'm here with my co-host, Chef Jamie Larita, who is the brand ambassador and designer of this beautiful showroom. And we are so excited to be here with someone you already know. You see him all the time as the Hungry Hound on ABC, 13-time James Beard Award winner, multimedia personality with a podcast uh, with Chef Rick Bayless. We have so much to talk about, but especially pizza. Welcome to Kitchen Chat, Steve Dolinsky. Thank you. Thanks for having me, both of you. This is great. Beautiful showroom, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank Serious. you so much. Yeah. Always hungry, seldom speechless. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, I was trying to come <laughs> up with like a, a motto for my, my redesigned website, stevedolinsky.com. And I was just, well, what do I do? I, I eat. I talk about my the things that I eat. I talk about my travels. I share my experiences with people. I really, I, I am seldom speechless. I always have something to say either, you know, in, in video form, on television, or on the podcast, and audio or writing about it for the Tribune's travel section, or the Globe and Mail in Canada, or, you know, just, I'm always talking about something. Do you, do you understand what trouble we could be possibly into? <laughs> I mean, between the three of us, Steve, we could be here for like a week. Yeah, We could. There is so much. I mean, Chicago has, of course, so much to talk about food-wise, but I just, right now I'm on a crazy pizza kick, but we could absolutely talk about food, you know, in Chicago forever. I mean, who doesn't love pizza? Pizza's like my, pizza's like, you know, I try to diet. I try to like, be, you know, behave, but it's always pizza that brings me back. It's everybody's comfort food. Everybody can relate to pizza. You know, I've done stories about barbecue and pho and Italian beef, and there are people who really are crazy about it, but you talk about pizza and it's like everybody comes out of the woodwork. Everybody has an opinion about pizza, yes. especially if they grew up in a town where pizza was re- like in Homewood or Flossmoor in the south side of Chicago. You know, it's Aurelio's. Or if you're from the west side, it's Armand's. Or if you're from the north shore, it's Barnaby's. Right. And so people have very strong opinions about pizza. But oh, really, yeah. wherever you are in the country, there are strong opinions about pizza. So, do you so think, that's do you, why. Steve, do you think people fight about pizza? They absolutely fight about pizza. I, I'm living proof of that. Uh, it, everybody has an opinion about it. It's like, and I think a lot of it is colored by where you're from. Right. What kind of pizza you grew up eating. That's a big point of, you know, why I talk about in the book is pig syndrome, pizza I grew up eating syndrome. It really colors your opinion about what you think is the right type of pizza. Right. And I have to ask, do you have a favorite? I have a favorite style. I think I like what I would call artisan, someone called neo-Neapolitan. It's definitely a longer fermentation. It's more hydration, more moisture in the dough, more chefy approach to pizza. Thinner, for sure. Mm-hmm. Even though I've spent 25 years plus in Chicago, I can appreciate deep dish, but my go-to pizza is typically thin. Oftentimes tavern style, which is square cut, thin and crispy pizza, which is the real Chicago style, I think. But I think my favorite is kind of an artisan, like, you know, Great Lake, or like if you're from New York, Lucali, or that kind of pizza. And speaking of chefy pizza, I love that in your new book, 
Pizza City USA. Mm-hmm. Book plug. Yes, Chef Grant Atches is the one that provided the foreword. Yeah, Can Grant. You share with us about well, that. So, Chef uh, was up until recently my next door neighbor. Huh. And so I'd see him in the back, you know, grilling, and his kids were over there and they're outside and talking about, we're talking about pizza. And he, I would notice he would post a picture from LA at a place called Pisana. And then I would follow him and go there and kind of back and forth. He went to La Briola because I talked about their deep dish. And so we got this talking about pizza. And he is really, he's from Michigan, so he understands sort of the Midwestern tavern style pie, but he just loves talking pizza. And so I asked him, you know, would you write the foreword for the book? And he said, absolutely. He didn't hesitate at all. And it's a real honor to and have you were like, yes. someone like Grant to write <laughs> yes. the foreword to your yes. book. Yeah. And he talked about, you know, what they would do with pizza at Alinea, for example. Right. You can't just do pizza, but they have their interpretation. So we added a picture of what Alinea does with their pizza, yes. in quotes. <laughs> and um, I just thought it was a great, you know, having another Midwesterner who is known around the world for his cutting-edge cuisine, really, when it all comes down to it, it's pizza. I would love to know what Chef Grant Atras grills in his backyard. Does I he have ever... sausages, <laughs> yeah, like everybody like else everybody in the Midwest. Else, right? He <laughs> likes sausages Brats. and steaks. Brats. He makes a good skirt steak, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But very rarely... Do cookbooks make me drool? I have to say that I'm drooling over here. <laughs> and and it's not a cookbook. There's no recipe. There no, are no, no recipes no. in this you book. Know, it's, a it, book it, it's a book it's about a fe- pizza. It's a field guide. It's, I want you to keep it oh, in your okay. handbags. Got it. Keep got it in your glove box. It, keep it in the back seat. Because you're out running around in Chicago. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be in this neighborhood. Yes, there I want to check no, this out. There are no recipes in here. No. But there, but there are maps. There are my top fives. There are you know, suggestions for places to go that might be near you. It's Pizza City USA. Actually, the best thing, PizzaCityUSA.com has info on the book and our tours. We're doing so tours. Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. Well, they're a direct outgrowth of this book. We, you know, we had this book planned a year ago. I turned it in. And I knew it was going to be quite a while before it came out in September. And so my wife and I were like, you know, there is another pizza tour business in Chicago. They've been doing it for seven, eight years called Chicago Pizza Tours. We're like, I think there's room for one more pizza tour business in Chicago. Um, and so we said, let's just take it out of the book. And so I took some of the neighborhoods like Bucktown or West Loop or West Town, and we created a tour that has four different styles of pizza in three hours. Mm-hmm. So every one of our tours is four styles of pizza in three hours. We do four tours every weekend. I lead the bus tour. And then we have dosants, and our dosants do the walking tours. So four styles, do you three pair, hours. Do you pair it with beer at all? <laughs> well, you can drink on the tours, absolutely. I mean, the beer is served, you have to, you know, that's extra. But okay. we, beer and wine are encouraged, and all the places we visit, typically, I think, maybe one exception, all serve really good booze. Ah. Yeah, so, like, you know, we go to Dante's for a New York Slice. They've got Virtue Cider, Virtue Rosé oh, yeah. Cider on I was tap. just at Virtue. Just fantastic <laughs> cider, out right. In, out in, uh, in Michigan. In Michigan, yeah. yeah. So they do, like, you know, and you can go to, like, you can get Apex Predator. Yeah. Uh, from, you can get a Moody Tongue beer over at Pizzeria Bibu in Lincoln Park. That's one of our stops. So, yeah, beer is a big part of this, but it's certainly, you know, if you want to go down alcoholic, you can do that, too. So I'm a little bit, um, I'm a, a world, you know, traveler based on my job. And I love that you have all of these guides in, in America, but you also go international. For tours? No, for your Oh, for, for your my guides. eating. Oh, my gosh, yeah, for eating and writing. Of course. Um, so I, we were on vacation with our kids in uh, Thailand over right. in December. And we went to Chiang Mai because I'd been there once before, but I really love this dish called Khao Soi, which is kind of a chicken coconut milk curry soup with boiled noodles inside, crispy noodles on top. Yum. And then they sort of sprinkle it with uh, fresh shallot and um, chili oil and uh, mustard green, pickled mustard greens, and of course a squeeze of fresh lime. And so I went to search this dish out. I went to about six different places, 
brought my video camera with me, shot some footage of it there, and then came back to Chicago and for ABC, localized it and went to a place in Morton Grove and another place uh, called Jintai in Edgewater and showed people, okay, so this is what it looks like at its source and this is what it looks like in Chicago and here's where to get it. Hmm. So I definitely try to bring some of the international travel that I have. It's not as much as it used to be, um, but certainly it's getting more. My kids are older now. Right. And so I'm in going on the road more and more. Awesome. So yeah. have you really developed your children's palate to have an international world flavor? Oh, totally. Oh, my daughter is 21. She's a junior at U of I. And she even told me a couple months ago, she's like, Dad, I finally appreciate you know all the travel we've had because I find I go to an ethnic or I go to a Korean restaurant, for example, and I can talk a little bit. I can schmooze in their language for sort of food wise. And they have an immediate appreciation. They're like, well, how do you know so much about <laughs> Korean food? And she's like, well, because we've been traveling, we've been to Seoul, and my, right. my dad takes me to Korean barbecue all the time. She goes, I now have an appreciation for uh, everything you've done, sort of dragging us around, because she really loves when she has that connection with a restaurateur. And how many children do you have? I have two. Uh, daughter's 21, son is 18. Wow. And he's a senior in high school, and he's looking at colleges now. So I'll be an empty nester in a year. So you've had, they've had this incredible, like, you know, food, food life. Yeah, they have. And what about you? Did you have a, a food life growing up? <laughs> this is like the, the funny part of my life. No, I did not grow up with the ape, my mom's apron strings, making Sunday gravy and making these beautiful roasts. No, my mom, we, my mom kept kosher. We kept kosher. Uh, we lived in St. Cloud, Minnesota, where there were like 10 Jewish families and we kept kosher. So that means, you know, no pork, no shellfish, no mixing milk and meat together. We'd had to go to the Greyhound bus station when the kosher food would come from Minneapolis because we were in St. Cloud, which was an hour north of Minneapolis. So very isolated and food was more sustenance. It was not pleasure. We did not have Julia Child's books in our home. So I, what age, what age did the shift occur? Did so you, it, were you like, so there was right, a shift. enough of this kosher yes, stuff? Yes, there was a shift. I didn't really realize there was another world out there because this was my world, right? I remember in, so in junior high school, my brother brought his girlfriend home from college. She was from Australia and she was a little bit older than he was and more well-traveled. And she was really into food. And she got me interested in cooking and unique dishes from other parts of the world. She gave me some, it's called the Australian Women's Home Weekly Cookbook wow. series, which is not really like a thick cookbook, but just sort of like a thick magazine with great pictures. And I took that with me on my first job out of college. I went to Upper Michigan for a TV job and started messing around with that. And I mean, I, that really turned me on to food. That I, re I realized, well, there's this world beyond lamb chops and tuna casserole from the 70s that I had as a kid. Is he still with this girl? My sister-in-law? Yeah. Yes. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, sadly, my brother passed away about nine years ago, but my sister-in-law still lives in Australia. So they were, she's from Australia. They met in America, lived in America for about 15, 20, 18 years. And then they all moved back to Australia with their kids. I love that story. So that yeah, but I'm still in touch with her, of course. And, uh, but yeah, she was really the game changer for me. Huh. And my mom still looks at all my career and she's like, where did this come from? Like <laughs> it wasn't from her and she knows it. Yeah. yeah she really, I mean, it was just, she had to cook because she had to cook. And I was the, the youngest of three kids. My sister's 12 years older. My brother's nine years older. So I was really the baby. And like I said, food was sustenance. It was not about the pleasure of the table, which is, I feel like I've been making up for all that time, you know, now in the last, I don't know, 25 years of being in food. Right. And I love that you mentioned it began with a magazine. And here you are in this month's magazine. Oh, yeah. A good segue. Wow. <laughs> we, that was great. Mark, see how smooth McSween That is a segue. So yeah. we're looking in this. Uh, in this yes, Modern Luxuries Men's, men's Book. Men's Book. And there yep. you are. 
What are the we talking pizza, about here? It's Pizza City USA. Um, it's Slice of Life. It's uh, back in the section with all the restaurants. And they talk about uh, the tours that are, again, every weekend, pizzacityusa.com. And then the book, which just came out, which is just literally, I mean, I've never given birth to a human being, but this is like what I gave birth to because there were so many people worked on this, like my editor, my copy editor, my family. You know, I went to 185 different places in the region to get to 101 that I recommend. And so we would do three a days for three months at a time. And, you know, for every three restaurants you go to, one's a keeper. Have yeah. you been to um, Have you been to My Pie in Bucktown? Love My Pie. I love My Pie. Larry Aronson is a legend in my eyes. He created My Pie back in 71, I think he opened up. That's my go-to. That's Yeah, that's a great go-to. Um, but I have I, fights about you know, Pequots. You know what's funny? I, I do, too. <laughs> People fight with so me. So My Pie years. opened the same year that Lou Malnati opened up his first place in Lincolnwood in 71. Different neighborhoods. He opened up in Lincolnwood. My Pie opened up near Loyola's campus. Um, but I think that deep dish is really, it's not a stereotypical deep dish. Right. And I think it's so much different, so much, I don't say better, but different than Pequod's. Pequod's tends to have a lot of dough, the bottom crust. Yeah. And I think my pie is a bit more balanced. They also use different sauces for their thin and their thick. Yeah. Their deep. Um, and they have a, like a spice seasoning packet that they use that yep. they've and Larry told me this because like, I met him a couple weeks ago for the first time and he said you know we had to alter we've had to change our pizza to stay the same because suppliers have changed and companies have been bought out sure and to keep that same my pie flavor they've had to alter things over the years now they used to be in Minnesota and so I sort of grew up having my pie really? in Minneapolis yes hmm. so I live, in the I, I live right down the street like I could it's a problem <laughs> It is. It's a big problem. It's, when I take people there and they're like, wait a second, I didn't know this was here. I didn't know how good it was. They can't believe how good my pie is. And it's like, it's right under your nose. It's yeah. right in Bucktown. It's true. It, it's literally down my alley and I walk right to my pie. So at night, like around 9, 9 p.m., yeah. I could be sitting on my couch and thinking about a my pie slice and I can literally walk down the street. We have, we rent out our, our basement for Airbnb and we had Airbnbs from San Francisco in last week and she was like, we wanted to have a deep dish pizza. We read that you liked my pie. They went to my pie. She's like, this is the best pizza I've ever had. That's deep dish because again, we, the New Yorkers come to town for three days. They spend all their time in a hotel off Michigan Avenue. Mm -hmm. They go to the four places that are within walking distance. Sure. Several of them are stuffed pies, not deep dish, right. which is a problem. That means a layer of dough across the top and sauce on that. You're just doing it all wrong. You're doing it all wrong. I don't go to New York and spend all my time in Times Square and go, oh, all they have here is Bubba Gump and TGI Fridays. I thought New York had better food than this. But that's what they're doing with deep dish. Yeah. So you're from the East Coast originally. I so I'm, I want to ask you. So go some ahead. people have this opinion about they want it either right out of the oven hot but that could also burn your top of your mouth yeah. they'd rather have it come out of the oven let it sit get room temperature and then when you order a slice reheat it for three minutes in the oven and just kind of bring it back to life do you like that style or right out of the oven hot i like both but i like i like um again everything pizza everything just i you know my my mother used to make so to answer your question i like it reheated okay and then my mom used to make I have 11 brothers and sisters believe it or not my mom used to make take english muffins and make pizza for the whole group with English muffins. <laughs> That's interesting. They're absolutely My delicious. mom used to do like in the toaster oven with like a slice of that craft uh, cheese and slices of green olives. My which is bizarre. My mom yeah. used to take, because there were 11 kids and then other people trying to help, she used to take an ironing board with, um, you know, 15 grilled cheese sandwiches wrapped in tinfoil, and she would be ironing all the grilled cheese sandwiches. That sounds like Jose Andres in Puerto Rico. Like, yeah, it so does. Seriously making do with, you know, yeah. a yeah. Quick, quick service. Yeah, we saw him doing that wow. when we were there. Wow. Well, now, I know having lived in New York, you fold it. 
to eat. Yeah, you got to fold there, it from the side. Yeah. So, is there a certain technique in Chicago? Do they follow suit, or there's certain? No. Uh, the, well, the, in terms of Chicago style pizza, you mean? Well, there are two. St- of course, I'm, when I say Chicago style pizza, I'm thinking tavern style, yeah. square cut, thin mm-hmm. and crispy, which requires no special instructions. Just put it in your hand. <laughs> it's small. Or deep dish, which does require a knife and fork. Yeah. But I think the good deep dishes are so firm underneath that you don't need a knife and fork the whole way through. Maybe yeah. on the tip only, but then you can halfway through, you pick it up with your hand. So I don't think there is necessarily a technique for that. So cornmeal crust, question mark? Yes, that is a Chicago-style thing for sure. Uh, cornmeal underneath, uh, between, I mean, on the, on the pan uh, before you put the dough on as a way to prevent sticking. I'm talking about... Oh, in the crust. In the crust. Um, yeah, I like cornmeal. I, I think, um, or corn flour in some cases. So Labriola does corn flour, corn oil right. in the dough, and then cornmeal underneath like Barnaby's does to prevent from sticking, but also to give it a little bit of flavor and texture. I like corn. I think in the Midwest, we like corn-fed beef. We like corn. I like corn period plain, yeah. you know, as it is. Corn I like bourbon, which has a lot of corn in it. Right. Um, and I think that's why in the Midwest, you see a lot of cornmeal um, in the dough or underneath the dough. Uh, that's a big part of the experience here. You know, pinch, uh, we call pinch and press bulk sausage is a big Chicago Midwestern thing um, that you don't see on the, on the East Coast at all. Margaret, how yes. bad do you want pizza right I now? I am getting so hungry. I for think pizza. we're going to definitely. Gonna have have I should have brought one. I feel terrible. I only brought a book. I should have brought a whole pizza for you guys. So one thing that I have to tell you about in our show, and we have this Turbo Chef oven uh, by Viking. It is crazy. It makes pizza fr- from scratch in two minutes and 30 seconds. Wow. It's a speed cook oven. That's we're going like, to have to play yeah, with that. It's like a Neapolitan to... oven. It's a serious oven. It's a serious yes. oven. So getting off the subject of pizza, because I think we could talk about this all day yeah, long. Could, and yeah. I love how much information he <laughs> yes. really is, the real yes. deal with pizza, guys. I'm going to like cherish this I've book. been eating yes. significantly for the last two years. <laughs> so I want to know about the Hungry Hound. I want to know more about that. Tell our uh, foodie friends about The Hungry Hound and how did that start and why is it The Hungry Hound? So I was a news reporter for several years uh, in the Midwest. I came to Chicago in 92, worked for CLTV, the Tribune Company, as a news reporter. And then in 95, they were launching a food show called Good Eating. And they were looking for people who could sort of recreate or translate the Tribune's food section into a TV show. I did that for about a year, became the host a year later. We did Good Eating for eight years. We did 52 shows a year, wow. half-hour shows, based on the Trib's food section. And so I really got into food, television, and production at that point. And then in 03, they canceled the show, so I left, and I shot myself around as a food reporter to a couple of stations in town. ABC offered me a part-time job. I, of course, jumped at it. It was a great deal to do two stories per week, that whatever I wanted to do, food-related, and the first day on the job, we had a planning meeting with the 11 a.m. producers, and they said, what are we going to call you? What's your segment called? I'm like, I don't know, the food guy, the chow hound. They're like, well, there's already a chow hound website. Some producer goes, how about the hungry hound? And they're like, okay, done. Next thing on the agenda. Like, that was it. It took like five <laughs> seconds. And then it's like, and it kind of stuck. So that was in, that was in 03. Uh, it was 15 years ago when I started there. Wow. And I, I was doing two stories a week, one to four stories a week at one point. Now I'm back to two stories a week, which is plenty. So I'm on the air Fridays at 11.50 a.m. live, and then Saturdays at 10 p.m., uh, two different stories every week. And so I've been doing that, yeah, 15 years. Who do you think is the biggest foodie at ABC Chicago? Uh, well, it was Linda Yu until she retired. She, for sure, she and I go out, well, we still go out for dim sum frequently, and she will literally eat 
like the cheeks and the eyeballs of the fish, and she'll eat the chicken like leg down to the bone. Serious, my kind of serious girl. eater. She's intense. My, my kind of girl. Um, I would say Tanya Babbage for sure. Yeah, she we she and I have gone out to eat a couple times. She loves talking food. She's a little Chilean and a little Serbian, and she's from Canada, so she's got all kinds of interesting mixes in her background, and just loves talking food, loves eating and trying new things. So I say Tanya for sure is our resident foodie. Well, you right. you clearly I was looking through your website and you've eaten in so many restaurants. I'm a little jealous. It's like you've you've oh you've, you've gotten around. Come I on, have, I have, but not, around. not not around Chicago as much as you have. Okay, well. but but what I want to ask you is, can you cook? You know what? I can cook. Um, I'm not a bad cook. If you ask my wife, she would say he's definitely competent in the kitchen. I wouldn't say I'm a whiz. Like I can like whip up stuff. Like I'll look at the refrigerator and go, I'm going to make, you know, Kokovan. But no, I, I can do, I can follow a recipe. Um, we do Blue Apron every other week. We do a Blue Apron box, which I love because you are sort of cooking. Yeah, sure. And a little improvis improvisation, but you're not wasting anything. Right. I hate wasting food when I go to the grocery store. I just don't have as much time to go shopping in the grocery store anymore, right. which is kind of a bummer. It's a job. But, but I do love tackling, like I've done the David Chang Momofuku nine hour pork shoulder, um, you know, all day in the oven and then doing the som and the sides and the kimchi and all the little lettuce wraps and things that go with it. Like I could do that kind of stuff, but again, it's following a recipe. So and what's I, your one dish? What's your one dish? When, when I come over your house, you're like, I'm cooking this for, you, for Margaret and Jamie. Um, I'd probably do marinated skirt steaks and, um, like Yum. homemade pico de gallo. Delicious. That yeah. does sound delicious. Yeah. And, and a Hemingway daiquiri, by the way. Oh, I'm a hell of a daiquiri that. maker, yeah. Because I always have, because I always have like a, a light rum on hand. I always have fresh lime juice in my refrigerator. Little known secret: I always have simple syrup and lime juice in my fridge, and I always got a bottle of Luxardo Maraschino liqueur, so I can whip up a Hemingway daiquiri like that. And he lives close by. Yes. I'm totally gonna stop. <laughs> <laughs> With pizza, we'll bring the pizza. Good combo. So I love too that you host. You are just so busy. You are Mr. Multimedia, and you also, on top of all of this. You co-host the Feed Podcast yeah. with Chef Rick Bayless. With, with Mr. Bayless. How did that so that was an interesting genesis also. So a couple of years ago, we were sitting around and we're like, why can't we do a food show on public radio? I worked there for 10 years as a contributor. Rick's wife was or is or she was on the board at BEZ. And we love WBEZ. We love 91.5. You know, all these great shows came from there. And there isn't really like a weekly food show. So we pitched this food show to the powers that be. They said no. I'm like, okay. Um, and then Rick's wife, Deanne, said, why don't you guys do a podcast? Started messing around. Like, we did it at Columbia College. Then we decided to do it in his test kitchen above the restaurant because it was like everything was there. He wanted to make sure we cooked once in a while. So we, we do these ingredient challenges where we ask chefs to come in and we take pomegranates. And we say, that's a pomegranate challenge. You get five extra ingredients. What could you make using pomegranates as the main dish in 15 minutes or less? And I kind of moderate the actions. We do that every three or four weeks. And then in the intervening weeks, and we do shows every week, like we do 50 or 51 shows a year. We do everything. We cover the industry. We talk about, we've got a show coming up on how do you pick music in restaurants. We did a show on labor in the industry. We did a show on LA, Koreatown. I didn't because I was in LA recently. So I do some food reporting. He does some cooking and he talks about the industry. And it's really been, I think it's been a success. Like we've, we're now on the podcast One Network, which is great. And they're helping us sort of with advertising and promotion. And uh, we just, you know, we wanted to be on a network. We wanted to build our sort of our subscriber base, our people that are listening to us every week. And it's been a lot of fun. I mean, he's amazing. Yes. Um, just like a, a wealth of knowledge and like the super most down to earth guy. You know, he's from Oklahoma, grew up in a barbecue family. Uh, and so we talk about barbecue. Whenever we talk about barbecue or donuts or onion rings, his eyes light up. 
He talks about, you know, he's a geek about coffee, which people don't realize. So it's way more than Mexican food. Like that, wow. we talk about that every, you know, I don't know, eighth week. I've met Steve uh, over the years here and there. We, we are on the James Beard Award red carpet and we see you doing that. But you seem like you're a really down to earth guy. You have oh, like thanks. no, no, nobody, I, you, you walked yeah. in. There, there is no handler or assistant <laughs> off camera. I have no intern kind of holding my bag. I'm by myself. You keep it simple. <laughs> I try to keep it simple. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I think it's all up here, which is probably a good and a bad thing. But I just, I can keep track of it myself. And, uh, you know, I'm from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Like, I mean, I can't be that, I don't know. It is what it is. I'm just trying to work hard and, like, make a living. Uh, I think it's working. <laughs> Thank you for coming into our show. What do you think of the place? It's beautiful. It really is. It's stunning. It makes me want to cook. It makes me want to get a griddle. I've always said, like, I needed a flat top in my house. Tell me something about the awards in your house. So, in the 90s, when I first started winning Beard Awards, they were the sponsor for the broadcast media awards always. So television, radio, and we won stuff for you know, PRIs of the World and public radio and, and CLTV. And so we've got these actual trophies in addition to the certificates that say the Viking Range. I mean, it literally is like a cutout of the range top. Oh, cool. Uh, Viking Range Broadcast Media Awards, Beard Awards. So I'm always, it's always top of mind. And then right before we moved out of our townhouse in Bucktown to, to our single family, we put in a Viking Range to help sell it. And that was actually one of the, the ways, ways we sold it because the guy who bought it People like from Glunz, uh, Joe Glunz from Glunz Wines was like, I want that range. And they bought the house. Wow. See? I yeah. love that. Well, we always like to end Kitchen Chat with the guest's top three tips for the home chef. And since you do cook some, what okay. would you say would... I would say mise en place for sure. Be organized and get everything ready to go and don't just wing it. I would say if you're doing a recipe, read the recipe first from beginning to end to understand what the processes are and what you're going to need tool-wise. And I would say work clean. So clean as you go so you don't have a mess at the end. I learned that from Martin Yan. And make sure you have fresh squeezed lime juice at all In times. your fridge at all times because you never know when someone's going to need a Hemingway daiquiri. Exactly. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, dear foodie friends, for joining us on Kitchen Chat. Make sure you visit us in the kitchen, kitchenchat.info, and also in this beautiful showroom here in the Merchandise Mart. And check out thevikinglife.com. And always remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.